Chapter 24 of The Grey Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland of Victoria, British Columbia. The Grey Man by S. R. Crockett. Chapter 24 The Slaughter in the Snow. But alas, I was never more disappointed, shamed, deceived in my life. For no sooner was our earl back in his own messages and domains, and behind his lines of hackbuttmen, than he resiled from all his promises, both to the Galloway men, who had done so honourably in the releasing and convoying of him, and, what seemed to me worse, also to Bargany, who had pledged himself in honour to satisfy the sheriff and Garthland. For, after all, a lie told to a loon of Galloway is not like one to a man's own kin and country, though, of course, a man that is true all through the web will not tell a lie to any, but such men are few, at least in the shire of Eyre where I dwell, and in Edinburgh to which I have at different times voyaged. But Bargany, as was natural, was fierce in his indignation with the crack-tryst earl. For, said he, he has made me, that am a man of my word, break faith with men of a like pattern, even with Uchtred MacDowell of Garthland and the Sheriff of Galloway. So after all this tangled business, instead of peace, as my deeply deceived master had supposed when he gave over his daughter to the traitors of Auchendrain, there issued at the last knot but feud more deadly and hateful than ever. The earl, who to do him justice was no coward as to his own skin, went hither and thither between Cassillis and Maybol, and even south to Auchnile, riding freely as though he had been within his own borders all the time and the traps that were laid for him by Auchendrain and Thomas of Drummurky, the laird of Bargany's barbarous brother, were too many to be told. Yet for the sake of the new alliance, such as it was, Culain meddled not at all with the matter, though doubtless it was a source of infinite bitterness of spirit to him. Then all of a sudden there came upon us the 11th of December, which is a day yet remembered in Carrick, because of the many brave lads that pranked it in pride in the morning, and who yet lay stiff in their war-gear or ever the early winter gloaming had fallen. We at Coulain got our warning from the Earl's man, John Dick, on the night before, how it was the order that we were to gather at Cassillis yet, and ride with them back to Maybole Town all in a company. John Dick told us, but with even more than his customary surliness and unwillingness, that the cause of this raising of the clan was that two days before Bargany had ridden past the gate of Cassillis, where the earl was, stopping not at all, but riding by with pennons flying in despite, which was held a deadly insult to his feudal superior. So Earl John had sworn to be equal with him on his return. It was such a day of snow, this eleventh day of December, that even in the midst of the fight, when the hackbutts were talking and the steel ringing, a man could scarce see whither he was going, at times so thick was the drift that when a man struck at an enemy with his lance, he could not tell who it might be that opposed him, whether friend or foe. But when, very early in the morning, we rode out to the muster, the oncoming storm had not yet begun. The air was bitter cold, blowing from the southeast, so that it drove in the faces of the Bargany folk all the day. Now as of late years it had been customary with him, my lord of Coulain was not able to ride with us, for the chill weather unmanned him, and he could do nothing but hercle over the fire with a lad to rub his swollen feet and stiff knee-joints. So it befell that once more I had the leading of our good lads from the sea-border. Right merry we were as we rode forth, for the matter seemed to us no more than a good adventure. None thought that the issue would be so grim and bloody as it proved. 
We were but halfway to Maybole when we came suddenly on Auchendrain himself and John Dick, the Earl's messenger, in close converse, which I thought a strange thing, seeing that Auchendrain was so great a favourer of the Bargany faction. So soon as they saw us come in sight they parted, and John Dick rode away over the fields, but Auchendrain came towards us, riding easily and pleasantly as if to market. "'A good day to you,' he cried. "'Whither away, armed cap a pied so early?' We ride to meet my lord and to do his bidding, I said, making my words brief and curt, because I liked not the man, for all his fine figure and commanding presence. Your master Sir Thomas is, I hear, laid by with his ancient trouble. I asked John Dick concerning him. Tell him that I grieve to hear of it. Without doubt you are on your way to visit him, I said, with mockery in my manner of speech, for it was a strange thing to meet John Muir on the wrong side of the town of Maybole at daybreak of a winter's morning. Without doubt, he answered readily, but now that I know of his weak state of health, I need not trouble him this day. There is the greater need, Laird Auchendrain, I made reply, that you should go on and cheer him with your pleasant discourse. He answered to that not a word good or bad, but turned his horse and rode away to the right, making, as I guessed, a detour to avoid my lord and join our enemies of Bargany. It was early in the morning of this famous 11th of December, as I have been told, that there was a goodly stir and commotion in the town of Ayr. Gilbert Kennedy had resolved that he would ride that day to Bargany by way of the town of Maybole. Sorely and often they of his faction tried to dissuade him, but he was set immovably on it, as he was on anything to which he had once made up his mind. Think ye, he said, that I am feared of John, Earl of Cassillis, or of all the Kennedys of the shore edge that ever scarted other folk's siller into their wallets like sclate stains? Ye needna be feared, said his brother Thomas, the wolf of Drummurky, but ye surely have enough of sense to take care of your pelt. Even a swine has that muckle. Do you think that Cassillis and those that are with him have not as much sense as we? They will be standing by some roadside where we have to ride by, and they will have holes cut it out, I warrant you, long or this, to shoot us in the by-ganging, even as we did for Earl Johnny at the lime-kilns of the Dalgarakis. But that debauched villain, the laird of Benane, and his little wit sister, moved him to that pride, to which also his own heart ever too easily inclined. So in spite of all entreaty, Bargany leaped on his charger and rode forward himself, with only ten or twelve horsemen as a first vanguard. Behind them there came other seventy, making in all the number of fourscore armed men on horseback, all good riders of metal. Some of these were such burghers of air as had a soul beyond the Elwand, and could follow a foray and bend the pull of a pistolet with any man. For I have learned that all townsfolk are not nitterlings, as once I thought in my hot youth and little knowledge. Now, so soon as they were well mounted, there were two at Bargany's muster, who rode away to warn my lord of Cassillis, by which way Bargany should come, so that he might be in array. The traitorous names of them were William Cunningham and Hugh Penangau, against both of whom Auchendring had warned Gilbert Kennedy, but Bargany had taken no heed, for he said, Never yet have I seen the time when my right arm could not keep my head against kings and earls, let alone pock-puddings and penangaus. Nor like I this day's work, said Auchendrain, for I see not here the weight of men to do your turn and carry you through. Yet all the time he was plotting that Gilbert Kennedy should no more ride home to Bargany, and that John Muir should rule the land in his stead. It was not long before they came to the Bridge of Dune. There they stayed a while, and Bargany set his fighting men in array, and, as was the custom, he made an address to them, of which I have heard much and often, for all men minded it as the speech of a brave man. Sirs, he said, so that they could all catch his words, 
I am here to protest before God that I seek neither the life nor the dishonour of my lord, but I desire only to ride home to my house in peace if he will let me. But if not, I look to you all to do your duty as becometh men. He that is willing to do this out of love and kindness for me, let him tarry with me to the end, but if not, let him leave me now at this present. And they all answered, We will die in your defence if any dire hurt or pursue you. So being well agreed, they of Bargany rode forward. They were divided into two companies, and their faces were set toward the gate of the town. And now it befits that I speak of the things which I saw with my own eyes, and of the noble muster that we of the Cassillis faction made on the nose outside of Maybole. I mind well how the Earl's spies came riding in with the news that Bargany had ridden out of the town of Ayr, and what joy was in the hearts of most of us that were there, when we heard that with him he had but eighty men. Earl John was so full of pleasure that his countenance shone, and he cracked his thumbs like a boy, seeing his enemy already in his power. He rode here and there among us, and saw to it that all the hackbuttmen had good-going matches, and all the footmen practicable spears and pikes. When we gathered in the high street of Maybole, the snow was just beginning to fall, and presently it came driving up from the south, so that we had it on our backs all through the fight. I was put in the very forefront of the muster with my twenty horsemen, for save in excepting those of Culain, and the few that surrounded his own person and were his gentlemen, as Robert Harburg and others, my lord of Cassillis counted not many horsemen, but rather spent his means upon providing hackbuttmen with the latest species of ordnance. Nevertheless, gallantly enough, we rode forth from Maybole, with the hackbuttmen and spearmen coming on foot after us. The street was full of them as far as one could discern through the oncoming storm, rising and falling like the waves of a sea. Yet was our soldierly figure a little spoiled by the falling snow, at least to the eyes of the women that looked down upon us in droves from the upper windows of the houses. But of course a soldier cared nothing for such a trifle. When once we got outside the town, my lord bade his men line the hedges and banks, so that the hackbuttmen might have both rests for their pieces and shelter for themselves. On the other hand, the laird of Bargany hid few hackbuttmen, for he said, It is not the arm of a gentleman. Comes a bullet of lead, and be he lord, prince or peasant, child Roland or base craven, there is no difference and no remede. No sooner were we set, all under cover, than our spearmen upon the left and we upon the right discerned the host of Bargany beginning to crown the opposite knolls. And through the pauses of the storm I could see the leaden glint of their spears and hear the words of command. It was indeed a picked day for a grim fight to the death. At the head of all, Gilbert Kennedy rode, behind him the wolf his brother, and the laird of Auchendrain wearing a long cloak, for it was a stormy day, and he no longer a young man like the others. Then it was that my heart rose against the fighting, and I had no such gladness in it as was usual with me, all for the sake of young Bargany, whom I loved. Yet as soon as I set eyes upon John Muir of Auchendrain, I felt the iron grow in my veins, and the hot anger mount to my head. Of its own accord my hand gripped the spear-hilt, for this day, by the Earl's command, I was again to lay a lance in rest. But I had now learned the game and art of it, and took lessons no longer from any one. If the Lord prosper me this day, I will make an end of one false rogue. So I vowed, solemn as if I had been in the kirk on a Sabbath day. Then the two forces drew so close together that we could see and hear one another, that is, before the snow swept down, blotting out faces and forms, friend and foe alike. Immediately there began the challenging and taunting, as is ever the way in these clan battles, where every fighter knows every one else, and has met him at Kirk and Market a score of times. 
Then Patrick Rippet, that was ever a wild lad, cried out for provocation to the Laird of Bargany's younger brother, with whom he had some quarrel about a lass. Laird of Benane, Laird of Benane, this is I, Patrick Rippet, that took your hackbutt from you. For thy latest love's sake, come down to the hollow and break a tree with me. For that was his manner of challenging his enemy to fight with lances. And again, then for all thy love's sake, cried Patrick, which made a laugh, for Benane's loves were comparable to the snowflakes for number, and eke for the lightness, but by no means the whiteness of their characters. For all thy love's sakes, come down, and I will gar thy harns clatter. But Benane was silent, and returned no answer, albeit the moment before he had been giving Bargany counsel to ride forward at the charge. But Benane was a man, debonair but feckless, a weighty man with his tongue, but thewless and unable of his hands. Long ere this the men of air were keen to be at the shooting, but Bargany held them in, saying, I will go to the length of my tether in eschewing all comer and bickering, so far as I may. And with that he wheeled about his force off the nose of the Lady Carse, and went down by the bog-side of Dinaim, to see whether a way might be won in that direction, without coming to the bloody arbitrament of battle. But my lord the earl cried out, Where ye there on the left? They would turn our flank and take us at unawares. So he spread out his hackbuttmen, and made them race down the ridges over against Bargany's men, till they won to the foot of the bog of Dinaim. There on the edge of the moss was a wall of turf, or, as the country folk call it, a failed dyke, so our hackbuttmen, coming to it, first lined it, and then began to fire on Bargany, who was somewhat disconcerted and taken aback at their alertness. I galloped around to the right to make safe the wing with my little band of horse, for I feared we might be suddenly assaulted by the whole band of eighty. However, as it happened, the sudden shooting of our musketeers threw their lines into confusion, some of them halting by a little burnside that was at the bog-foot. This staying of the charge gave further courage to our musketeers, who had full time to plant their rests and make their matches ready. Our pikemen also gathered at the back of the turf dyke and leveled their weapons over the heads of the kneeling hackbuttmen, so that it had been as vain for the whole company to have charged upon us as for them to have attacked the walls of Calais. Nevertheless, I saw them muster again boldly and come at us. I caught the trampling of their horses as they gathered speed. The fire of our musketeers flickered out here and there adown the line, for it was a dark afternoon and the flashes could clearly be seen. I saw sundry horses go down and heard men fall, the iron plates of their mail clashing on the frost-firmed ground. Some of those who started most gallantly reeled in their saddles, threw up their arms and fell backwards while their horses galloped riderless away, for that is the manner of men's falling who are smitten by the bullet as they ride. The wolf of Drummurky was down. I hoped that he would rise no more, for he was a most cruel beast and the bane of many lives. Indeed, from before the fire of our musketeers, all trained marksmen, the riders of Bargany, who had been so proud, fairly melted away. Thus was Earl John justified of his dependence upon powder and lead. End of chapter 24